Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 159 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Joey Coastman. I, as Sumra, is missing once again. It's now been two weeks. No one's heard from him. We need to get the hashtag going. Pray for Iaz. Where is Iaz? Nobody knows, but we do have a very good replacement here, of course. It is the man who was here last week. He's here this week once again. It is IFL TV's Umar Ahmed. Umar, thank you for coming on once again. Welcome to the show. How are you? It's becoming a regular occurrence now, but yeah, I'm all good. You? (laughs) Very good, my friend. Very good. Let's dive straight into the review part of the show. Let's waste no time. I don't think there's going to be too much going on in the preview part because there's not really too much to go over. But let's start with, like I say, the review part. We're going to start in a place called Soleil du Monde in in, in a place in France somewhere, if you didn't guess by my accent there. Um, We're going to start with Ilunga Makabu, former opponent of Tony Bellew. He got in there against a guy called Pata Aduashvili which I'm probably saying um, his name extremely wrong. But anyway, this guy was 26 and 24 with three draws. Pretty much a, a keep busy fight, if you like. A little bit of a tick over for Makabu. And it was exactly that. A second round KO for Makabu. He's now 23 and 2. Then, moving over now to the York Hall Arena in Bethnal Green, London. Myself and Uma were, were actually at this one, um, sitting next to each other, I believe, for the, for the entire night. Um... Let's talk about the undercard here. I'm just going to really mention a couple of guys, and if you want to fill in a few gaps here, then Umar, you are welcome to do so. I'm going to start with Johnny Coyle. Um, he moved to 20-0 and with one draw, a points win over six rounds against his opponent, Arvidas Trisno. I think I've seen him once or twice before, a journeyman, but still a win there for him. Uh, we also saw Dan Aziz step in against Charles Adamu, a man that's been in there with the likes of Carl Froch and various others. George Groves also... Um, a tough guy, a man that's 41 years of age now, so everyone knows he is getting on a little bit. He's record 32 and 11 going into this bout here. Dan Aziz was set to take on, um, who's he set to take on again, Umar? Because it fell through last minute kind of thing. Cote, yeah. That's it, yes, he was supposed to take on Cote, so... Uh, so yeah, um, a little bit annoying for him, I guess, for the opponent change there. But he did get in with another tough guy. And, you know, he's passed this test once again. It was... Um, it was a good learning fight. I really think it was. It's a humongous step up in class for just your sixth fight. So no problem with that on my point. Um, but yeah, points win over six rounds for Dan Aziz. He's still undefeated, still has that perfect record intact. Um, yeah, I just want to throw it over to you, Mar. Have I missed out any of the other kind of undercard fights? I'm going to get onto McKinson and McNess um, and obviously the main event. But is there any others that I may have um, not really done a, done, a, done a great service for on the undercard that I could have missed? Missed nothing major. I mean, there was a few debutants who impressed, but yeah, I was going to say McKinson, McNess. Um, come on to that. That was probably the main fight on the undercard. Yeah, you can you can go straight into that if you like. Yeah, I mean, beforehand, McNess was the favourite. Um, definitely the bigger name. Um, and McKinson just blew everyone away. He was class. I mean, his head movement, um, ring generalship, the way he was putting his shots together. McNess was standing in front of him and, and looked lost, really. Um, and that was for the 
whole duration of the fight. Um, McKinson with a shutout win and definitely did his name no no harm live on Box Nation uh, in front of a packed your call. So well done to him. Yeah, very well done to him. One thing that shocked me so much in that fight is McNess um, was being made to miss so much, like really, really miss as well, um, which you don't really see from him. I think McNess is quite a, you know, quite an accurate puncher, quite a a solid professional, really, quite a well-rounded fighter. So very surprised to see him miss the way he was missing. Um, he was being hit repeatedly with McKinson's backhand very often for me. Um, you know, McNess also was kind of abandoning his jab. Um, there was no head movement from McNess, which I think you, you picked up on, Umar. Um, you know, McNess was bigger physically, but he just couldn't get his rhythm going at all. McNess, uh, sorry, McKinson was very, very skilled in there. Again, it was the first time I've actually sat down and watched him, and he really did impress me. Um, McNess's hooks weren't working. Um, his 1-2 wasn't working, which he tried repeatedly, and McKinson was just too cute for him. Uh, McNess had his nose blooded, I think, about the midway kind of point of the fight, maybe a little bit early, earlier than the midway, actually. But yeah, McNess, of course, went down um, in that fight. I think it was round... Uh, do we remember which round it was? No, I can't. I think it was mid-round. That's what I thought. I yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. So, yeah, he went down at some point. I forgot the round, so I apologise for that. But, um, yeah, very difficult for, for, for McNess to come back from this, really. Um, great elusiveness from McKinson. Um, he's, he's obviously a very, very slick southpaw. Actually, he's got a very similar style to Andrew Selby. That's what I picked up on, which I didn't think that bigger guys could even have a similar style to Selby because his movement's so good. And I've always thought that's probably because he's a flyweight. He's a he's a smaller guy. Um, so I, I thought that that was why. But no, McKinson showed me a lot of, of, of stuff similar to what we see when Andrew Selby fights. And we will be speaking to Andrew Selby later on in the show. But yeah, I want to see this guy, McKinson, in there with a few of the domestic super welterweights. I think we've got a brilliant domestic scene right now in Britain um, Umar, I mean you've got the likes of again this is not, I'm not asking for this fight next but you've got the likes of Eurasinia Byfields we will get on to him and Ted Cheeseman who's another name there, you've got Liam Williams there's so many guys at Super Welterweight, there's there's many many more, I'm just literally naming a couple off the off the very top of my head but there's a brilliant mix domestically now at that weight Yeah you've got also Anthony Fowler and Scott Fitzgerald oh, who are likely to fight um, but yeah, no one wants McKinson in them sort of fights yet, but definitely for the future wise, he could be right up there from that performance I saw uh, on Friday night, top draw from him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm probably leaving out even Sam Eggington. You'd like him in the mix as well. Um, Jason Wellborn, these types of guys, um, people obviously forget a lot about, um, you know, some of the guys just underneath that level, like your Jimmy Kellys and, and people like that. But yeah, a, a lot of fantastic fights to be made domestically, should they happen. That was a defense, though, of McKinson's WBC International Silver Welterweight title. So his record now 15-0. and And McNess 10-2, and unfortunately for him. He's better than his record suggests, though, it has to be said. Also on this bill, we saw Neslan Mercado move to 15-0. and He successfully... Um, well, he, he successfully won the fight. It wasn't a defense of his title. The title was actually vacant. Um, it was the WBA International Super Bantamweight title. So Mercado now has that belt. Um, it was a split decision over 10 rounds against Fadili Majiha, who was 23-10 and 10 with four draws. Now, Mercado, in my eyes, 
I wasn't really scoring it, but I felt he was quite fortunate to get the decision. Like I say, it was a split decision over 10 rounds. Mercado was actually down in the first round himself. So, you know, when you look at that, to go down in the first round, pick yourself up and then win on points, you know, it can be done. But from what I saw, I think Majiha was actually fighting pretty well. And like I say, I wasn't actually scoring it, so I can't say it was a wrong decision, but it seemed a little bit like uh, the home fighter got a little bit fortunate for me. Um, yeah, now the main event. Sonny Edwards, 8-0, successfully defended his WBO European Super Flyweight title. He's now 9-0, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Ryan Farag, who was 19-3. and And like I say, those three losses were European level and then to two guys that went on to become world champions. So no shame in his losses whatsoever. But what we saw from Sonny Edwards, I mean, the skill was unbelievable. Beautiful movement. His hands were down. He had that spiteful, quick jab. He was dancing around in there. He was flashy. He was good on the eye. Farag looked dazzled, to be honest. Sonny Edwards was switching stances. He just looked leagues and leagues above Farag. He was too sharp. He was literally as sharp as a kitchen knife. And, you know, the way he was, not just all of what I've said there, but the way he was picking his shots as well was so unbelievable. Like, he was throwing the right shots at the very right second. He was too quick. Like I say, great feet, and he's a horrible fighter to face for anyone, really, domestically. And Sonny had never gone past six rounds, which is a thing that we need to include here. Um, you know, he, he still had the spring in his step right to the final bell, which was after 10 rounds, a unanimous decision for Sonny Edwards there, um, a complete shutout, an unbelievable performance there, Umar. Yeah, I think everyone was in shock. Um, you got to remember, Sonny hasn't, obviously, by Friday night, hasn't faced really one of note yet. He's the first to admit it. So going into it, it was fairly even on paper. Obviously, Sonny the sort of prospect coming up, but Ryan had been in some massive fights, including likes of Burnett, where he told me he felt he held his own, obviously in European title fights as well. So there was a lot of question marks around Sonny going into it with an experienced guy like Ryan, but he just dominated the whole thing. And yeah, everyone that I spoke to, everyone who saw it live on Box Nation right at your call was really impressed. Um, MTK guys were really impressed as well. And, yeah, as I said, we knew Sonny had something about him, but we needed to see it over a long sort of course of rounds because, as you said, he'd never been past six before and against a good name. And that's what he'd done and uh, sent a real statement out to anyone at Flyweight. And he, he wants that Paddy Barnes fight next. In fact, in his post-fight interview, he said Paddy's on 22nd December uh, on the Frampton Rising Bill. And he said to Frank Warren he'd be happy to step in uh, on that date. So... Interesting to see what happens next next with Sonny. Yeah, I would love to see it. Just to uh, to go back a little bit there, you said he's ready for anyone at Flyway. He's campaigning at Superfly. That's what I just I just correct you on that. I know it's a little bit confusing because you got Charlie and him kind of both varying, you know, between Fly and Superfly. So uh, yeah, just clear that one up. If anyone is confused, um, moving out now to the Arena Armich in Sofia, Bulgaria. Couple fights to mention here. We had Savannah Marshall move to four and zero, a unanimous decision over ten two-minute rounds. She also picked up the vacant. Now it's no longer vacant, of course, but it's the WBA Intercontinental Female Middleweight Title. But yeah, Savannah Marshall took the O of Yanina Orozco, who is now four and one. Unfortunately for her, Savannah Marshall, like I say, perfect record four and zero. 
And just to mention the final fight of the undercard before we get onto the main event here, we saw the brother of 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 um, Kubrat Pulev, his name Tavel Pulev. He successfully moved to 12 and 0, a knockout in the second round against Leonardo Bruzzesi, who now has a record of 19 and 6. Now I'm going to just pull out my infamous measuring stick here and say that um, this guy here, Bruzzesi, he got stopped in five rounds against Christoph Glowacki, who we know is a very very good fighter at um, at cruiserweight. Obviously a former WBO world champion, and Tavel Pulev did it in two rounds, whereas it took Glowacki five rounds, so a little bit of a comparison that you can or cannot make there. It's down to you. Uh, this one was also for the vacant EBU European Union cruiserweight title, so that belt now belongs to Tavel Pulev. Good for him. He's actually aged 35 um, almost 36, but the main event, his older brother Kubrat Pulev, a man that is aged 37, he took on our very own Huey Fury, still a baby, 24 years of age. Um, obviously, Pulev 25 and 1, and Huey Fury 21 and 1. Um, yeah, it ended up being a unanimous decision over 12 rounds in favor of Pulev, the home fighter. One scorecard. The very the very closest scorecard had it seven rounds to five. The other two scorecards a little bit wider than that. I think one of them was ten to two, and the other one I believe was nine to three. So um, yeah, it seemed like I mean quite a clear win for for Pulev when you look at the scorecards. Now I'm not sure if you've had a chance to watch it back, Umar, but I haven't. I know that we were kind of keeping one eye on it during the card on Saturday night. But um, yeah, did you get a chance to watch it back at all? Did the right man? Uh, did the right man win? Yeah, obviously we was at the Matchroom show, so we couldn't watch it live. But yeah, I have watched it back on YouTube. Um, obviously, it goes without saying, the cut um, played a huge factor. Um, not saying Huey would have come out on top if he didn't come, get the cut, but it, it did come into play because it was early on. Um, and I think it was said in the post-fight interview um, with Coogan, where Peter was talking to Coogan, he said, he had cut in sparring about three or four weeks before the fight with Martin Bacoli. Um, so, yeah, the cut played a role, but the, the right man won definitely in Pulev. He was the better man on the night, both Peter and Huey came out and said that, uh, which is, which is you know, the right thing to do. They're, they're saying they're not making any excuses, but they did obviously mention the cut because it should get mentioned. Um, um, and it's a bit of a worry for Huey because... It's opened up before, and it's opened up again uh, in Bulgaria on Saturday night. So, you know, that he's only 24 years old. So, you know, if that carries on, that is obviously a concern. Uh, but, yeah, Pulev was the better man, and I'm sure he will be back. He's only 24, as I said. Um, you know, he's had a brilliant amateur career. He's already been in there with Parker and Pulev, and a lot of people thought he, had, he beat Parker. Um and destroyed Sam Sexton. Um, so it's going to be tough for him to come back, but I'm sure he will. Yeah, still certainly young enough to do so. Um, I think the cut came in the third round, so yeah, it was early. I've heard, again, I haven't had a chance to actually watch it back, but just in a nutshell, um, I heard that he badly hurt um, Pulev in the eighth round, was it? Was it as bad as what I've I've read, um, Umar? Uh, no, you what you've been told or read is correct. Uh, in the eighth round, he did he did rock Pulev. Um, it was really the only genuine success he had in the fight. Um, oh. But yeah, he did sort of stun Pulev for a bit. Um, oh. And just want to mention, the first couple of rounds, Huey was doing really well uh, before the cut came. Um, 
uh, he, you know, he looked in the fight, whereas after the cut, he was never really in it. But yeah, eighth round, he did stun uh, Kubrat Pula. Yeah, it's a real shame. But I just, you know, I just don't really want people to get on Huey's back because, you know, he's still young. Um, I, I could sit here and take a moment to go and check some facts or whatever, but I don't really have the time. But I just think that, you know, he, he's 24 years of age. I mean, he's took on a world-level fighter in Pulev. He's took on a, um, you know, a world champion at the time in Joseph Parker. Where was Tyson Fury or, or even Anthony Joshua fighting um, when they were 24 years of age? They certainly wasn't fighting these type of guys. So there's still enough time for, for Huey Fury to turn it around. Um, there's no shame in losing to the two guys he lost to. Again, I do not think he lost the Parker fight. And this fight here was simply to a world-class guy. I've said it for years and years. A lot of people don't think that Pulev's that good. I don't know why they don't think that. I mean, look at, look at when he beat um, Derek Chisora, which, in my opinion, it was completely one-sided like you know I remember putting money on that fight for him to win on points and he did and you know that was a little bit of a measuring stick aside from that yeah he has got that blemish to to Vladimir Klitschko a prime version by the way of Vladimir Klitschko so no real shame in that I mean he's a class fighter I'd love to see him in with Povetkin I've said it for for, for years I've always wanted to see those two guys fight Pulev and Povetkin it'll probably never happen but you know Pulev is still a very very good fighter despite being 37 years of age he gives anyone a real good fight and that's including Joshua by the way um I will just mention that we all went with Fury to win on points on the Prediction League, so we all lost that one. Um, going back to the York Hall show just for a second there, I picked Edwards to win on points, which did happen. Um, I as went with Edwards on points, so he got a point there as well. And the listeners actually went with Edwards by knockout, which looked like it could happen at one point, but it didn't happen, so... One point for me, one point for Ayaz there. But yeah, getting back to it, um, once again, I just hope that people don't get on Huey's back because there's a lot of time for him to turn things around, and I believe he will. Um, he's a talent. He really is a real talent. And like I say, there's many, many, many big fights for him. I'd love to see him fight. Who? In fact, let's just spend a second here, Umar, if you don't mind. Who would you like to see Huey in with next? Because we don't want to see another drop down to British level. I know that the fight just was there at the right time, and he beat Sam Sex and he knocked him out. He took the British title, but we don't really want to see another one of those. I don't think they will do that. I'd like to see him in. If I had to say so, I'd love to see him fight Chisora next. Huey Fury Chisora would be good, but realistically, I don't think that's going to happen. No. Um, yeah, Huey, who would you... I mean, you've got so many good heavyweights out there, likes of Dubois, Gorman, but obviously I don't think they'll be stepping in uh, with Huey Fury next. Um, yeah, it's a tough one, really. Um, what? Where? Did, because he fought Joseph Parker and Pulep, so how many levels down do you want to drop? That, I mean, what I do you think on that? I think he's got to fight someone who's established but has probably seen better days. And that's why I say someone like a Chisora because I think that, you know, I know that he's coming off a fantastic win over Takam, which is arguably the best win of his career. But, you know, he wasn't winning that fight at all until he landed that mega punch and jumped all over him. Um, You know, he was losing that fight and it was pretty clear to me that he wasn't really on that level but he did get the win I'm not taking that away from him brilliant to him he now deserves a big fight whether you like it or not Um, but I just think he's the type of guy Um, if it's not him what about Pricey? Pricey um, yeah even even, yeah possibly again I just think that do you know what that's actually a shout that is a shout yeah that is a shout I don't mind that one 
Um, if we're going international, then I would even say someone like a someone like a Gerald Washington. I think even someone like that, you know, someone that, like I say, has been at the level, has, has fought for a world title, obviously didn't win. Someone like that who's a bit established. I'd like I'd like to see him in with someone like that, who I think he'd win quite comfortably against, by the way. Um, but yeah, him against Chisora, again, you know, is not a fight that's going to happen next, certainly. But I think he's got a horrific style for Chisora. Um, but yeah, leaving that alone, we'll be here all night talking about that. Moving out now to Germany. One fight to mention at the Stad Hall. We saw Dominic Bozell move to 28-1, and a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against Enrico Colin, former opponent of um, of Arta Baturbiev. So like I said, 12th round unanimous decision there. Bozell still the EBU European light heavyweight champion. I'd love to see Anthony Yard in that mix. I've said that one before. Um, I expected him to win on points. I think I said that last week. We also saw in Spain at the Polideportivo in Fernando Martin. Um, we saw Mark Vidal, the guy I was talking about, 11-1 and one with five damn draws. He got in there with Kiko Martinez, former world champion. As we expected, Martinez pulled off the win unanimously over 12 rounds. So Martinez, once again, he's back in, um, you know, in that kind of top level, whether you like it or not. He's the new EBU European featherweight champion, the proper European title there. So his record, 39 wins, 8 losses and 2 draws. Will his 40th... Um, win be any higher than European level? Perhaps not, but it is what it is. Moving over now to one card that actually took place in Lancashire um, in United Kingdom. We saw just a just a humongous upset, actually, that I'm going to mention. I wasn't really going to mention this card, and I, w- I probably didn't mention it. In fact, I didn't mention it last week, but I've got to mention this. Luke Blackledge, Umar, I don't know if you've heard about this. His record, 24-5 and with two draws going in. Obviously, a former opponent of Rocky Fielding, former opponent of Zach Parker, former opponent of... Um, of of Callum Smith, he got in there with Anthony Fox, who was five and twelve with four draws, and he lost. I mean, he didn't even win a round. A six-round points win in favour of the journeyman, Anthony Fox. I'm not quite sure what's happened with Luke Blackledge, because at one stage he was a decent fighter, and, you know, he's only really lost. I say he's lost five fights um, before this night. One to Callum Smith, one to Zach Parker, who I think is a real talent, one to Rocky Fielding. So two of those guys I've mentioned, the world champions as we speak. The other two losses, I can't remember who they were to, but I don't think they were, like, disgraceful losses. And he now loses against a guy who he was obviously expected to to beat in his sleep even. Um just to go back, his his losses were to um Lalenga Mock, which, you know, even though he's aged, he, you know, it was a points loss, um a closish fight. And then the other loss was to Eric Skogland, former opponent of George Grove. So good level that he's actually mixed with and he's won obviously a fair amount of fights at decent level and then here we go. He uh he loses on points to a guy who's a journeyman so it just goes to show anything can happen in boxing um moving out now to the copper box arena another fight that we were that we were at umar obviously two nights in a row that you had the pleasure of spending with me many people would love to say that many ladies no i'm joking none um george fox george fox the the son of don charles he <laughs> he moved to two and oh a points win over four rounds against igor Mihaljevic, whose record is now five and thirteen. Um, also, we saw Craig Richards move to thirteen and won a TKO in the second round against Michael Ludwidzak, who's now 
16 and 9. Um, Craig Richards looked pretty good, to be honest. A lovely, lovely finish. He, uh, <laughs> The guy threw a right hand, and he took a step back, then stepped back in with his right hand over the top. So it was like a counterpunch, overhand right. Beautiful. Really, really was. You don't see that often. That's like the sexiest punch that anyone can throw. And he stopped his man there with that. Um, also, we saw Reese Bellotti move to 13 and 1. He bounced back successfully after losing to Ryan Doyle. Um, a points win over six rounds against his opponent, Brian Marina. Um, Martin J. Ward moved to 20 and 1 with two draws. A KO in the second round against Mohamed Kambuluta who's now 18 and 5. Um, Felix Cash moved to double figures, 10 and 0. He successfully picked up the WBC International Silver Middleweight title, so a decent little strap for him there, his first belt that he's ever fought for, and he's won it unanimously over 10 rounds against Stephen Danio, who was actually 14 and 1 with three draws. I think it was a shutout as well, so a good win there for Felix Cash. Now getting on to the big four fights in my eyes. Isaac Chamberlain, 9 and 1, took on Luke Watkins, 13 and one both men like I said last week are coming off that loss to Lawrence Acoli it's you know it's a tough place we fought for the loser to go to um you know whoever the loser would be it'd be a tough place to come back a tough road to come back and the winner of course would would hopefully go on to big things um yeah we had Luke Watkins on the show last week he was very very confident I did ask you know what would happen should he lose and he didn't even really want to think about that he was very confident and um unfortunately for him he came up short um, a points win over 10 rounds for Isaac Chamberlain and it was completely drama filled a fantastic 12th round where Isaac Chamberlain dropped Luke Watkins and mathematically or quite factually he needed that knockdown in order to flip the table and, and be ahead on points so that knockdown secured him the win without that knockdown he was not going to win that fight which is quite bizarre because for me I thought he was probably two up going into that last round something like that but a fantastic fight for both men there Umar and like we say the loser goes in a bit of a hard position but to be honest because the fight was such a good one I don't think it's as hard as we as we thought it may have been for the loser in this one well yeah as you said the last round that was probably one of the best last rounds I've I've seen um, in a long, long time. Anyways, uh, drama field, as you said. Uh, scorecard wise, I thought it was close. I mean, Wadi Camacho, um, who I interviewed, as they were reading out the scorecards, actually had Luke Watkins still up uh, after that after that knockdown. Um, wow. And a lot of people, a lot of people did have Watkins winning a fight until uh, that knockdown. Um, Isaac Chamberlain, superb um, to sort of stick in there in the middle rounds because Watkins was really getting a hold of it, I thought, but then he came back really well. And obviously that last punch, well, one of the last punches in the fight, as you said, made all the difference. Um, but credit to both men. I thought they put on a great display. Credit actually for taking the fight because, you know, both of them could have could have easily said we'll have a couple of sort of comeback fights if you like after the Cody loss but um, they jumped straight back in um, and afterwards they were both really class as well in fact put up a video of Watkins and uh, Paddy uh, congratulating um, Angel Fernandez and Isaac Chamberlain um, afterwards in the in the changing room um, Luke Watkins is a class actor I know you know him well Joey um, I'm sure you'll agree an absolute credit to the sport um, the way he carries himself and the way he fights as well, because uh, 
put on a, a really good fight for us. Um, but yeah, Isaac is right back up in the mix. You'd have to say, obviously, Akoli's number one in Britain. And then you'd have to probably still say Matty Askins number two. But, you know, Isaac Chamberlain is now is now three. And, um, you know, he wants that Akoli rematch, obviously, down the line. Um, obviously, firstly, to sort of right the wrong. And secondly, to show that it can be a more entertaining fight with Lawrence. Um, and uh, I hope we do see that, you know, because I think they can both put on a good fight. Um um, there's a bit of obviously edge as well between the two, and uh, yeah, Isaac under Angel Fernandez for his first fight, and Jorge Rubio did did really well. Yeah, I just want to quickly whiz through the fight, my you know from from my point of view. Um, I think the first round was an Isaac Chamberlain round. I think both men actually had their moments. I was very surprised to see Chamberlain so aggressive in that first round. That was very surprising, especially like I say, so early on. Um, Isaac was going to work with his uppercuts as early as that first round. Nothing was really phasing Watkins in terms of being hurt or anything at that point. Um, the second round I had pretty close. I still actually gave it to Chamberlain just by a thread. Um, Luke wasn't outclassed or anything like that but Chamberlain just landed the much more eye-catching shots Isaac had a lot of variety in his work Um, Watkins was a bit too easy to read I think a bit predictable for Isaac in the third round that is when I gave Watkins his first round a very good start to the round for him um, which was actually the case in the first two rounds if I'm being completely honest he did start both of the rounds before that pretty well um, but Isaac took over in those two rounds there but Isaac in this round did actually come back into the round once again but I still felt Watkins did enough to win it um, he was starting to actually find his range with his shots as well for the first time in the fourth round it was a clear clear Chamberlain round he was starting to go to work on Watkins he even started winding his punches up and getting a bit flashy um, the crowd were roaring as well in that fourth round. Watkins looked a little bit out of his depth, actually, for the first time. Um, a little bit like he was kind of running out of ideas. In the fifth round, Isaac, for me, won that round also. It wasn't the best round of, of the fight at all, by any means. It was quite a, uh, a lackluster round. Not much clean landed, really, by either man. But Watkins was starting to look very tired at that point. In the sixth round, I had it 4-2 in favour of Chamberlain. Watkins actually won that round there for me. Um, Isaac slowed down or or he was either pacing himself or something because he didn't really look the, the Isaac that we'd seen in the previous five rounds but good work from Watkins in that round that I felt that he actually needed the encouragement there so good stuff for him the seventh round was a very very close round a beautiful flurry by Watkins at the start of the round but Chamberlain came back into it himself um, over the latter part of that round so very tough to score for that one I actually thought it was probably a 10-10 um, in the eighth round Chamberlain you know his punch output really dropped quite noticeably I'm not quite sure why he still did seem to to have the spring in his step but it just wasn't coming together with his hands Um, he didn't seem like he was too tired but he just wasn't really throwing enough for me at that point he was giving too many chances to Watkins to get back into the into the fight and for me that was a Watkins round Um, Chamberlain did actually have some good moments late on in that eighth but still not enough to win that round um, in the ninth round, again, it was another 10-10 for me. It was another close round. Chamberlain wasn't really putting his punches together at all. He was throwing too many singular shots, but his body language was confident. It was positive. He was also showboating, which I was hoping didn't really give the judges the impression that you know he was in total control because he wasn't. Um, and again, it was arguably a Watkins round, but for me, it was a 10-10. I say the judges. I think it was just the, rever- the referee who scored this fight. 
um, if I'm not mistaken. Um, also, yeah, it was, it was. And then in, into the 12th round, I sorry, the 10th round, the final round, I had Chamberlain one up going into that last round. Um, and, uh, you know, it was an unbelievable round, like I said. Both men hurt each other. A great end to what had been an epic fight. Watkins took a knee just as the referee looked like he was going to jump in. So thank God, he, you know, thank God he did take that knee because taking the knee helped him survive the round, in my opinion. But a big 10-8 round um, that on my card potentially could have cost him the fight because, like I say, I, it was very close. I had it. Um, I had I had Chamberlain one round up. But, again, I did score two 10-10s that could have gone either way during the fight um but yeah for me even with the uh you know with with the with the knockdown that completely secured it and i had him by three points so i was quite surprised to hear that the referee had chamberlain by one point so literally if he wouldn't have got the knockdown he wouldn't have won the fight if he would have won the round then it would have been a draw and of course if he lost the round then he would have lost by two points so that was quite surprising 97 94 on my card for chamberlain after 10 Credit to him, credit to the pair of them. It was a fantastic fight. For me, I'm not really a big fan of rematches, Umar. I know that this one, actually, I probably would welcome. But um, just generally speaking, I'm not the massive uh, or the biggest fan of, of, of rematches. So for me, I would not mind Watkins fighting Camacho. And I wouldn't mind um, Chamberlain moving on to someone like a Matty Askin. Um what's the best thing to do those fights or perhaps someone else or um or or the rematch i know that obviously camacho's got his hands full with arthur and Iqbal, but aside from that it'd be a great fight i think isaac chamberlain matty askin is the natural fight to make to see who's number two in britain at the moment and then the winner possibly get the rematch with a coley depending on what coley's planning to do um yeah as you say camacho's got his rematch with Arthur Nickbell, I think that's two weeks away now. Um, so he's tied up. But I, yeah, I'd like to see Chamberlain uh, v Matty Askin to see who is number two in Britain. I don't know if you'd want to see that. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Like I say, I uh, I suggested it, didn't I? <laughs> but um, true. <laughs> but no, um, I, I, it's, it's a weird one. I don't want to go off in a, in a different direction. But like a Coley, you know, in our eyes or certainly in your eyes because you kind of said so um you've got Akoli as the number one in britain he obviously is the british champion underneath him you've got matty askin who he beat and then just after that you've got um chamberlain and and watkins who he's also beat so it's like the rematches i don't think anyone wants to really see the rematches i think the you know the askin one <laughs> you know there was obviously a little bit of controversy due to the points being took off and all that but it wasn't a pretty fight i don't think anyone really wants to see that rematch they don't want to see a coley fight chamberlain again i don't think and you know the watkins fight wasn't really that close because he banged him out i think in about three rounds so you know he's either going to fight some real i don't want to be disrespectful but he's going to fight guys that are like fourth fifth sixth and seventh to get his three defenses to win it outright or does he move straight onto european level it's it's just difficult to say, really, because, you know, even though he made it to the Olympics, he didn't really have a extensive amateur career. So it, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one for Eddie Hearn. But again, that's his job. It's not mine. 
Um, moving up the bill once again. So, like I say, Chamberlain now ten and one. Luke the Duke Watkins thirteen and two. But moving up once again, Ted Cheeseman fought for the vacant British super welterweight title against Asinia Byfield fourteen and one. And Ted Cheeseman, like I say, fourteen and zero. Um, a unanimous decision over twelve rounds in favour of Cheeseman. It was weird because the first round was a clear, clear Asinia Byfield round. He absolutely boxed circles round Cheeseman. He was looking good from his southpaw stance. He was jabbing Cheeseman around. Cheeseman was getting through with one or two shots at most, but a clear Byfield round. And that, for me, looked like, whoa, this is going to be a good fight. This is going to be pretty competitive. This is going to be very tricky for Cheeseman. This could even be quite frustrating for Cheeseman. Well, he must have just gone back to his corner and thought, nope, that's not happening again. And for me, he won every single round after that. In the second round, I felt that Cheeseman was already finding his range very quickly. He looked a much heavier-handed fighter. He was going to the body of Byfield. Byfield was still getting off with his skillful attacks, but not putting a dent in Cheeseman at all. The tide was turning already there. Um, a Cheeseman round, a very big round for him as well. In the third round, a good round. Both men having their moments. Byfield jabbing, Cheeseman landing big hooks. But again, I felt Cheeseman did enough um the fourth round cheeseman really starting to get through with his shots he was pinning byfield on the ropes i just couldn't see it going the distance at that point actually because he was really starting to land his shots all too often and byfield isn't really the the you know the easiest target to hit but it seemed like cheeseman wasn't having much trouble finding his man um cheeseman just looked too big and strong um i wasn't sure if he'd be able to keep up the pace after those four rounds, because it was it was starting to be quite a fast-paced fight, or a high-paced fight, I should say. Um, going into the fifth round, a 10-8 round, um, a delayed reaction from a straight right hand, followed by one or two more kind of pushing shots. Um, but the big right hand was the one that hurt Byfield, I think, and he went down, he got back up, he didn't look too hurt to his credit, um, but a massive round there for Ted Cheeseman. Byfield just could not seem to keep Cheeseman away. He couldn't seem to stop him from walking forward. He just didn't have the power to keep Ted off of him. Ted had no respect whatsoever, just walking forward, didn't care about what was coming at him. Um, going into the sixth round, again, I think that Ted was just too rugged and tough. He was too solid. He's very fit as well, which I've said before, um, very strong, very fit. Um, he was able to keep up the pace. He seemed like he was co quite comfortable in there, really. Byfield, again, just couldn't stop him from coming forward. Another clear Cheeseman round. Um, the seventh round, a good round. Still, Cheeseman won the round, but Byfield was was um, was was having a fairly good round. He had a few decent moments. One shot, I think it was a straight left, seemed to actually rock Cheeseman. Um, I might be overstating it a tiny bit, but a good shot there from Byfield. It seemed to certainly trouble uh, certainly trouble Cheeseman, but Byfield was showing a second wind at that point. Um, I felt. And then in the eighth round, Byfield had to really dig deep and bite down on the gum shield. He did find a few eye-catching shots, but Cheeseman was being caught um, only a few times really coming in. But again, I just felt that Cheeseman had another had another good round, but a few interesting moments there. And then, yeah, the ninth round, Byfield had nothing left in his shots at all. His power really diminished um, any power that he did have. Um, Cheeseman, I think, had a bloodied nose as well at that point, though. But, yeah, another Cheeseman round. Then in the 10th round, it's pretty much more of the same. In the 11th round, all Cheeseman. Byfield late on seemed to stun Cheeseman a little bit. And he had him in some bother, but the bell went in a good time or at a good time for Cheeseman. And then in the 12th round, it was a great end to a great fight. Once again, this is what happens, Umar, when we see a 50-50 fight get made. Um, you know, just like the Watkins and Chamberlain fight, you know, two true 
fifties. Both of those fights that we mentioned there both had fantastic finishes in the twelfth round. But yeah, for me, it was a very wide, um, a very wide uh, scorecard for Cheeseman. I actually had it one nineteen, one oh eight, I believe. So um, very dominating performance when you actually look at it on paper. Yeah, it was whether you know Byfield could offer anything back in terms of power, because um, I think we all knew. Ted was going to try and walk him down, and that's what exactly exactly what he did. Um, as you say, that first round, uh, Byfield looked really sharp. Um, I didn't actually see it live because I was uploading stuff, um, but I've seen it back on on highlights. And uh, yeah, Byfield looked really good, and I thought, right, we've got a real fight on our hands here. But Ted just seemed to walk through him, um, and I, I think Byfield can definitely come back. You know. Styles make fights. I know it's an old cliche, but it is true. Um, and Byfield can give a lot of problems to a lot of fighters at 154. But yeah, well done to Ted becoming uh, the British champ. And, uh, you know, you've got the likes of Fowler, Fitzgerald, I think I'm going to fight. And I'd like to see the winner of that uh, fight, Ted. Yeah, and uh, like you say, I believe that Asinia can come again. Him and Michael McKinson be a real chess match. Um, moving up the bill once again, we saw um, we saw Ryan Doyle seventeen and two with one draw put his Commonwealth featherweight title on the line against twenty one and zero Jordan Gill, a product of the Coldwell Boxing Gym. A TKO in the seventh round though for Jordan Gill. Um, which which completely shocked me, actually. Not when I was watching the fight, because Gill was fantastic, but I actually thought that Doyle would find another knockout here. Um, he was coming off a nice little bit of momentum. But yeah, for me, Gill was just too fit for Doyle, really. He hurt Doyle a few times. He dropped him once. Um, he answered some questions himself by taking a big shot or two. He seemed like he had a good beard on him. Um, good movement from Gill. Uh, spiteful puncher. Um, a lot of variety in his work. You know, he's now shown for me that he is actually the real deal and a fair stoppage for him. Um, you know, Doyle was a brave man. I think some people were arguing with the stoppage. I think Doyle was a bit um, a bit upset with it himself because I think he has got great recovery skills. But, yeah, it was just all Gil. Um, there's, there's, there's a few guys that I'd like to see Gil fight. I'm not quite sure Reese Bellotti is, is the guy, though. But um, I wouldn't really complain about that fight. I think that'd be quite a decent fight stylistically. Um, but yeah, Jordan Gill, the new the new Commonwealth featherweight champion, twenty two and zero now. Um, like I say, many great fights for him round the corner. Um, and now the main event: John Ryder, twenty six and four, took on Andre Sorokin, fifteen and zero. Obviously, Sorokin had a kickboxer background. He had four knockouts from his fifteen wins. And John Ryder, we all thought, would hopefully put the first blemish on his resume, and he certainly did a seventh round knockout for John Ryder. Fantastic for him. A few um, rocky moments, um, you know, in the, in the early part of the fight. Obviously, Ryder was cut. I think it was a clash of heads, if I'm not mistaken, but it was quite a bad cut. So um, he had to weather a bit of a storm there, but he did find these shots, and he did stop his man, and I'm absolutely over the moon for him. Um, it's another... You know, tricky opponent placed in front of John Ryder, a guy who I think I think he was actually a southpaw, but he came out in orthodox or something like that. He changed his stance up, and I think he was a little bit better than what um, John Ryder thought he would be. But ultimately, the knockout came, and it was in favour of Ryder. So I'm over the moon for him. Um, just before we move on from that card, there is there anything that you just want to chuck in for a little note there on Ryder or perhaps Jordan Gill? Anyone? Yeah, let's start with Jordan. Um... 
really impressed. Uh, I think it was clear to see in his previous fights um, that he was a talent in terms of skill level. Um, but he took some big digs off Ryan Doyle, um, who obviously stopped Bellotti last time out. And um, it's clear to see he has a lot of power as well. So when you when you had them three things in, the skill level, the power and the, and the chin, you know, Jordan's going to go a long way. And then when I interviewed him after, I don't think in the seven months I've been working with IFL, I've seen someone so happy to win. Uh, he was nearly in tears. Um, in the post-fight interview, um, but he was over the moon, uh, and he should be, you know, becoming Commonwealth champ. Um, again, in what people said, it was a 50-50 fight, um, and obviously Ryan was going in as champ, so well done to Jordan Gill. Um, and John Ryder did what he had to do. Um, great to get a stoppage as well. Um, lovely body shot. Um, yes, yeah, Sorokin, I had no idea really what he was going to present as a challenge. But he looked tricky and awkward uh, early on. Um, but John Ryder, sort of, you know, that experience he's got now, I think, uh, you know, did well for him. Um, and now he's got a massive opportunity um, at Callum Smith's belt. Um, and there's no actually clarification whether it's going to be for the super or regular belt that he's mandatory for um initially it was for the super belt which is obviously held by smith um but there is a chance he could be fighting the winner of fielding canelo um so we could end up seeing if canelo come through that rider canelo which <laughs> must be something wouldn't it it really really would um getting back onto the predictions yeah like i say i i obviously i obviously gained the point on the uh, the edwards fight so did i as uh, the listeners didn't but talking about this little card here at the copper box i gained the point with rider by knockout so did the listeners i as didn't um doyle by knockout i went with that obviously didn't happen i as went with Gill on points that didn't happen and the listeners went with doyle by knockout so no one gained one there um, Cheeseman on points I went with so did the listeners and so did Ayaz so we all gain a point there and then Chamberlain on points I went with um, so did the listeners but Ayaz went with Chamberlain by knockout which almost happened actually but obviously he didn't gain a point there so um, so yeah we will get on to the, the other fights which we predicted on but that's it for the Copper Box moving over now to the Newport Centre in Wales United Kingdom um, we will be speaking to a man that fought on this bill let's mention his fight here Andrew Selby moved to 11-0 and a TKO in the second round against Adam Yehaya whose record is now 18-4 and with one draw he became the first man Andrew Selby to stop Yehaya so a good little win for him obviously he's been out the ring for just over a year which is a very sad thing because Andrew Selby is one of the most talented boxers in Britain hands down and he's certainly one of my favourite fighters to watch um, talking of huge upsets, we mentioned one earlier when Luke Blackledge lost. There was a shocking upset here. An Olympic silver medalist, Umar, by the name of Fred Evans, a man that's obviously Welsh, you know, based in Wales. Um, he was 5-0 and and he took on Ryan Toms, a guy who's not really a journeyman, but he's got 15 wins, 15 losses and 3 draws. And this fight is the you know the time where he's actually turned his record into a winning record he's now got more wins than losses a knockout in the second round ryan toms was able to tko the undefeated former olympic silver medalist fred evans a 2012 olympics i believe it was when he won the silver 
And um, Evans was down twice in that second round, so that is certainly upset of the of the weekend, to to, to say the least. Um, moving over now to the Lakefront Arena in New Orleans, Louisiana, USA. Um, we've got a couple fights to mention here, I believe. We saw Subriel Matias, eleven and zero. He took on a guy called Fernando Salcedo, who was sixty-two and eight with three draws. So a guy who's sixty-two and eight with three draws taking on a guy who's eleven and zero. Anyway, um, the guy with sixty-two wins, um, Salcedo, he was actually down twice in the first round, and then his corner got up on the ring apron and managed to get him disqualified. So. <laughs> A disqualification win in the first round for Sabriel Matias, still undefeated, 12-0 now. Moving up the bill once again, Ivan Baranchik, 18-0, took on Anthony, I think his nickname's Can You Dig It, Yijit, um, 21-0 with one draw. This one was for the vacant IBF World Super Lightweight title. I think the winner of this fight... Um, Obviously, it was Baron Chick, I should mention. Um, he will now take on the winner of... Yeah, he takes on the winner of Josh Taylor and Ryan Martin. That's that's right there. So, yeah, both men were undefeated, like I say, going into this contest. Um, Yijit's left eye was horrific, and that was the reason that the, that the fight got stopped. A seventh-round retirement, his eye was completely shut, and the doctor advised the referee to stop the fight. So, a retirement there after seven rounds, very disgusting, that eye. It reminded me a little bit of Kevin Mitchell against... Um, against Jorge Linares a few years back. So, yeah, good win there for Baranchik. And moving up to the main event here, Regis Progre, 22-0, put his WBC Diamond Super Lightweight title on the line. No mention of his WBC interim belt. I'm not quite sure what's going on there or what the situation is. Very, very bad, actually, that Progre, the day before the fight, I think when he was at the weigh-in or something like that, someone broke into his hotel room and stole his belts, his money, his jewellery, his clothing, everything like that. So I hope that that situation gets sorted because that's pretty disgusting. Disgusting, to be honest. But, um, yeah, Progre got in there with all those distractions at the back of his mind, I'm guessing. He took on our very own Terry Flanagan, 33-1. and one. It ended up being a unanimous decision over 12 rounds. Flanagan was down in the eighth round, though. Um, they said after the fight that it's the first time that Terry Flanagan has been down, which is completely incorrect. He was also down once before um, against another fighter whose name has, has um, evaded me on this on this occasion. But, yeah, the fight itself, let me just quickly run through it here. A very good first round, very fast-paced round. Flanagan was coming forward, which I was quite surprised to see. Um, the pair were both meeting in the center of the ring. They were both boxing. Both men were trying little tricks here and there. Both men simply started the round well um, and, the, and the fight well. And it was a close round, but I actually gave it to Flanagan. Um, the second round I gave to Progre. I think that Flanagan didn't really throw too much. Progre was starting to dominate with his jab. Progre was showing good head movement as well, which was um, quite good to see a very interesting and quite surprising first two rounds there. So I had it 1-1. Going into the third round, that was a pro-grey round for me. Very surprised at how much of a technical encounter that this fight had actually become at that point. Wasn't expecting this kind of fight at all. Progre was showing Flanagan respect in there. It was a very good fight um, after those first three rounds. It was a very good fight in, in total, to be honest. In the fourth round, another round for Progre. Just, you know, just about doing enough. 
Um, Terry would double up with his jabs and step in with the backhand, but that, you know, by the time he threw that backhand, Progre would usually move away from the power punch. Progre just seemed to be a step ahead. 3-1 to Progre, going into the fifth round. Very close round, possibly had even edge it to Flanagan. Flanagan countered Progre once or twice with some lovely shots that seemed to get Progre's attention. Wouldn't go as far to say as they hurt him or anything, so 3-2 after 5. Going into the sixth round, a Progre round for me once again. I was very surprised to see such excellent head movement movement from him his reflexes were brilliant his low guard was excellent the way he was you know relying on reflexes with the low guard it was all just working so well for him um he still wasn't being nailed by Flanagan who I think had many opportunities to do so but like I say defensively progress showed us a lot here um Flanagan kept kept the um the high guard um to to certainly watch out for the overhand left from Progre I still couldn't believe how technical the fight was, but yeah, 4-2 to Progre after 6, and then going into the second half of the fight, the 7th round, it was a bit of a nothing round, really. I think it could have even been a been a 10-10, but if I had to literally, had to give it to someone, it would have to be Flanagan, I think. I don't know, maybe a 10-10 if I had to. I don't know, I'd probably get shot in the head if someone was holding a gun to my head. It was that close. Um, in the 8th round, um, a counter left hook put Flanagan down. It was... Um, it was actually a jab that Flanagan threw, and Regis slipped it with a little bit of head movement to the side, and boom, he come over the top with a left a left hook, and Flanagan also had a cut eye in that round, so a 10-8 round, a big round there in the 8th round. Flanagan did get back up, and he actually fought okay, but the confidence certainly grew in Progre, and he was starting to showboat. I had Progre four points up going into the ninth round, so... Flanagan would have needed to win every round just for a draw on my card. In the ninth round, Flanagan bounced back well, actually. Um, I'm not quite sure he won the round, but it was close. He didn't seem to have any visible after effects from that knockdown in the eighth round. Um, in the tenth round, another progre round for me, really. And the eleventh and twelfth round, I didn't really score. But credit to Flanagan for actually lasting the distance. It's something I didn't think he could do. But again, he's a very tough guy. I think he's actually showed that on a few different occasions. So perhaps I didn't give him enough credit going into this fight. But um, yeah, credit to him. But he's in a bit of a tough spot now, Umar. Again, if you saw the fight, you can obviously say your comments. But Flanagan, since he's moved up to 140 from obviously lightweight 135 because remember you know he was really killing himself to make the weight since he's moved up to 140 yeah he has took on two undefeated guys but he's also been served up two losses at the hands of these american fighters at this at this um at this weight i don't really know what he does from here two losses on on the bounce and he was also the the the, the you know the british fighter with the most wins in a row like the longest undefeated streak of all of the current British boxers at the time which he's obviously lost um, and then lost again here yeah disappointing for Flanagan obviously you said two losses to Maurice Hooker and Progre I mean both fighters are of a very high standard when you're talking about Progre True. and uh, Maurice Hooker especially with Progre I think he's fate boy he's favourite to win the tournament um, I'm sure Josh Taylor will have something to say about that um, but Flanagan, where does he go? Um, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, you know, he was before the hooker fight, he was going to create history. Um, but obviously, that ain't go to plan. Um, it's a tough one for Terry Flanagan. Um, where do you think he goes from here? Um, well, unfortunately, I know that it's like it's, it's, it's a fairly decent fight and all that, but. At the time when they were first talking about it, it was before the Catterall-O'Hara-Davies fight. They were saying, oh, Catterall against Flanagan. And I just thought, 
Catterall hasn't really earned it in my eyes. I like Catterall, by the way. I'm just saying I don't think he's done enough to actually earn a world title fight at that time against, you know, the guy with the longest undefeated streak, a guy that's, um, you know, that's won all these fights, been a world champion. I just didn't really think he deserved it. I didn't think he, he'd done enough. And I think Terry Flanagan actually agreed with that. And, um, yeah, now, after losing two fights in a row, unfortunately, it's probably Catterall. But I don't know if Catterall's world level, but I don't know. I don't know if it's the right time to make the fight or not, because if he loses to Catterall, I just don't know what he does from there, because that, that's very, very difficult. But but it's only difficult because Catterall hasn't really proved himself to be on the world level yet. A win over O'Hara Davies doesn't mean that you're a future world champion, I don't think. But... um. I don't know, it's, it's, it's difficult, it's difficult. Fill in for here while you put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, Catrell, I mean, I didn't really think of that initially. Because um, obviously in terms of Pro Grey and, and um, Marie Zucker, it's a step down. But obviously Catrell could be a future world champion. Um, and he's coming off a good win against Hara Davis, as he said. It, it, it doesn't mean he's going to go on to become a world champion, but there's potential there. Um, so, yeah. But as he said, whether if Flanagan takes that fight and then has his third loss in a row and loses yeah. to Jack Cattrall, then you're looking at the end of your career. So if you're his manager, do you advise him to do that? I don't think so. Um, but then there might not be any other options out there. Other than, you know other than Jack I'll throw one in there. I know Go it's on. not going to happen. I know it's not going to happen. But in a dreamland, he fights Anthony Crawler. That would be fantastic. Yeah, Crawler's fighting on the Uzi value card as well, obviously. So if he comes from that, then yeah, why not? Yeah, that would be a fight that I really would still like to see. Um, yeah, I don't think... Full domestic Flanagan's... clash, does, it will still do numbers, so... Yeah, yeah, I don't think Terry Flanagan's done by any by any means, but like I say, another loss and and to a guy that's not proved to be world level just yet would would be very damaging. Um, but yeah, yeah, tough one really for Terry Flanagan. But I think Progress showed so many levels to his game there. I was quite blown away actually. Um, very very pleased for him. A real nice guy. Um, I think that's really it for that card there. Moving out now to the Madison Square Garden Theatre in New York. We have uh, just really one or two fights to mention here. We've got Heather Hardy. She um, she won the rematch against Shelly Vincent. Who Did you see the pictures of this, Umar? Shelly Vincent turned up to the weigh-in with a drawn-on moustache and beard. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen this, actually. Where did you see this on Twitter? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean I'm sure it's on, on, on IFL's... Um, YouTube channel. I mean, the way in between Heather Hardy and and Shelley Vincent, like Shelley Vincent's like a, uh, um, she's one of those ladies that I think uh, is obviously quite butch. I think she likes to kind of be like the man. I think she could. I don't want to say the wrong thing here, but I think she she kind of likes likes being a tough lady. So she's drawn a uh, a, a moustache and beard on herself, and and definitely actually looked like a man. She even had a had a Mohican going on. 
So um, I hope she's not offended by any of what I've said there. But yeah, she took on Heather Hardy, who was undefeated, like I say, 21 and 0. It was a rematch. It was a good fight as well. 10 two-minute rounds, but unanimously um, for for Heather Hardy, who's now the new WBO World Female Featherweight Champion. That belt was vacant. It's now Heather Hardy's. Um, also on the bill, the main event here, really, the last fight to mention of this card, Daniel Jacobs, 34-2, and took on Sergei Derevianchenko, 12-0. Two former sparring partners. It ended up being a split decision over 12 rounds. Derevianchenko was down in the first, and Jacobs managed to, to edge it, like I say, on the scorecards. Um... This one, of course, was for the vacant IBF World Middleweight title. Now, the fight itself, just to quickly run through as quick as I can from my point of view here. Um, the first round was a close round, really, until the last 15 seconds where Jacobs landed a right hook to Derevianchenko's temple as he was ducking kind of thing. He was ducking down as he took the shot. So it's obviously, it means you're closer to the ground. You, you know, your legs aren't straight. It's quite easy to be knocked down from that. And yeah, it forced him to actually touch down with his gloves to stay on his feet. So it wasn't like a like a knockdown where he landed on his back. He just simply touched the canvas with his gloves to keep himself on balance. But yeah, an unfortunate way to lose that first round there and obviously a 10-8 round for Jacobs. In the second round, Derevianchenko won that round. A good comeback round for him. He actually hurt Jacobs also in that round. In the third round, another good round actually. Um, probably a Derevianchenko round, but a close one. The fourth round was another good round. Derevianchenko was winning it and then got wobbled with a big shot from Jacobs. Jacobs completely saw the blood and uh, or sniffed the blood and completely swarmed his man. And Derevianchenko clocked Jacobs with a heavy, um, I think it was a, a, a counterpunch if I'm not mistaken. So a good round there, but one that Derevianchenko, for me, won again. Um, in the fifth round, I had actually given Derevianchenko every round since the unlucky knockdown um, in that first round. And the fifth round, again, was a clear Derevianchenko round for me. So you can see where I'm going with my scorecard here. I felt that the the commentary from Sky was quite poor, if I'm being honest. I think that they were favouring Jacobs way too much. And Spencer Oliver, I've even written after five rounds, Spencer Oliver was taking the mick here with his scorecard, the way he was favouring Jacobs. Um, in the sixth round, it was a closer round, more competitive round. I think I'd probably edge it to Jacobs, actually. Very close round, like I say. The size of Jacobs compared to Derevianchenko was noticeable um, to anybody. Jacobs was a lot bigger in there. I had... Um, I had Derevianchenko up by one, if I'm not mistaken, at this point. So that's that's obviously a 10-8 round, um, and then Jacobs winning one, and then four rounds to uh, to Derevianchenko. Yeah, so having him up by one, going into the seventh. Going into the second half of the fight, the seventh round here, very close round once again. I'd probably edge it to Jacobs. So for me at that point, it was all square on my card. And then going into the eighth round, Jacobs actually won that round for me. Um, a really good round for him. So I had him one point up. Spencer Oliver announced at that point that he actually had um, Jacobs up by seven points. And that was just shocking to think that there'd been eight rounds and he had him up by seven points. So I don't think he... I think he might have given Derevianchenko one or two rounds, which is shocking. Um, in the ninth round, Jacobs won that round for, for sure for me. So I had him two points up, which looked like he was going to win it on my card at that point. And then obviously leaving the last three rounds, 10, 11, and 12 in the 10th round, I think Derevianchenko had a great round. I didn't actually score the round, which is 
bad on my part, but the Sky commentators, who I felt were really being quite biased to Jacobs, they kept shouting about how good of a round it was for Derevianchenko, so I'm guessing he probably won that round. And then in the 11th round, I didn't actually score this round either, but it was a great round. It looked to be a close round, but if I if I had to give it to someone just on what I watched, again, I wasn't really studying it. Um, I was doing something else at the same time, but I was watching the odd little bit here and there in that 11th. If I, if I gave it to Derevianchenko, then then it would all be on the last round. Um, it would it would it would be all square. So it would all be on the last round. So the last round, whoever won that would 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 win the fight. And then in that twelfth round, I gave that round to Derevianchenko. So on my unofficial scorecard, not properly scoring two rounds, I had Derevianchenko up by one. Now Julie Lederman agreed with me. That was her scorecard. She had him up by one, and um, Spencer Oliver had Daniel Jacobs up by six rounds. Um, Thank God he's not a judge. Um, no one had it that wide. Even Jacobs himself didn't have it that that wide. So, uh, yeah, poor judge in there. But I'm not really surprised to see to see Jacobs get the win at home. I think he had a touch of luck. Like I say, a few close-ish rounds there. And and to be honest, I gave some of the close rounds to Jacobs. So I think Derevianchenko probably would feel quite hard done by. Can't really blame him for that, but it is to be expected. I picked Jacobs to win this fight by knockout. So, of course, I got that one wrong. Um, the listeners went with Jacobs on points, so they got a point there, and so did I as he went with that as well. So all in all, the predictions last week, I gained one, two, three, four points. Ayaz gained three, and the listeners gained four. So very, very interesting. I shall tally them up in um, at the very end of the show. But that's really it for the review part of the show. Just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the undefeated flyweight world contender. It's, of course, Mr. Andrew Selby. Andrew, welcome back on the show. We've missed you here. <laughs> yeah, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Hey, it's always a pleasure having you on. So, Andrew, we last spoke back in September, actually, of last year. Um, it was in the build-up to the Maximino Flores fight, a fight where you went on to win pretty comfortably. Um, I know it's quite yeah. a long time ago now, but what did you make of your performance that night, Andrew? Uh, yeah, um... It was, it was a great build. After all, he was a tough opponent, and uh, but he suited my style. He worked on tests, uh, good shots, and uh, I showcased my boxing skills. Yeah, you certainly did. Like I said, the last real time that um, you know you were on like a, a major kind of UK station, so a lot of people saw you that night. Now, obviously, since then, lots and lots and lots of things have have, have gone on. Um, I want to start really with the fact that Christopher Rosales, a man that you fought, and aside from being dropped in the first round, you completely dominated him for the rest of the fight. You beat him on points. He's now a world champion, not just any world champion, the WBC world champion. Obviously, we know he went out to Japan. He beat the undefeated. Daigo Higa, who was very feared, 15-0 with 15 knockouts, and Rosales knocked him out in the ninth round. How good of a win is that for him, Andrew? Yeah, it's a great win. Um, the, the Higa failed the weight at, at the time, so uh, he, he was probably weak in the fight, but uh, don't take it away from that Rosales, because I've been in the ring with him, he punches very hard, and the uh, that Higa, he comes forward and talks to Rosales. Rosales was just too big for him. So that's a great win for him. And he's my next target now to, to fight against him. I've been ordered to have a final eliminator against the Mexican number two contender in the one-hour fight Rosales. 
Okay. Yeah, because like I say, your win over him now looks, you know, now looks a much, a much better win. Um, also, Rosales came back over to to Britain. He t- he took on uh, Paddy Barnes. It was obviously his first defence yeah. of the title. Now, I actually expected Barnes to probably out hustle him on points, but instead he got knocked out in four rounds. Were you surprised with that? Did you rate that win? Um, I I, I knew uh, Rosales would win because the imprints by him in year twenty and that. You know, you've got to be very, very fit in game to to beat him. To be honest, and I just, I just thought you would beat fans, and obviously, I was right. And the last kind of piece of negative um, stuff that's that's gone on. Um... You know, since we last spoke, obviously a very bad night for your brother Lee um, back on on May nineteenth earlier this year, losing the world title to Josh Warrington. What did you make of his performance, Andrew, from the outside? Because it didn't look like the Lee that we know. I'm still not quite sure if he either had a very bad night or Warrington had a very good one or a bit of both. Well, obviously, I spoke to my brother, and he, he's telling me it was just making the weight on him. Is he just? I think it was just uh, one fight too many, and. He said, like he said, he could see the shots coming, just didn't have the energy to defend and counter. So, so that's why, hence why he's moved up now. He's moved up to lightweight. Okay, okay. And getting back onto yourself, Andrew, um, I myself and many others um, didn't really know what had actually gone on. And you know, we saw a tweet from you on Twitter that read something along the lines of you don't fight anymore and if anyone was wondering why then to ask uh, the, the, the British Boxing Board of Control no one was quite sure what to make of what you said there and I don't know what yeah. you can or can't tell us about what happened but um, we know for a while of course you had your licence revoked what can you tell us Andrew about the whole situation very messy um, well it was just uh, it was a scene with the taxi driver and that got out to the boxing board, so just suspended me, and then they uh, just done checkups on me and stuff, and they did my lessons back then after a few months, and now obviously I'll be an active fighter again now. And just to clarify, it simply was just a, you know, a verbal argument, nothing physical with this taxi driver at all? No, no, uh, no physical violence or nothing. Yeah, it seems very strange. It seems like you were hard done by, but that is a thing of the past now. Um, Andrew, while you were while you were, you know, without a license, were you? Where were you mentally? Did you did you balloon up in weight at all? Were you down? Um, were you depressed even? You know, what was it like for your mental state for that period? Um. Well, my my weight, I don't go. Well, I've never been over nine and a half stone, to be honest. Just over nine stone, I was about. Uh, I was just in my mind that I was. I just thought I was retired, so I was just enjoying myself going out and stuff. And then obviously that gets brought in. I just hit the gym, even though if they weren't going to give my lessons back, I was still going to train anyway. And obviously they give my lessons back. And I I watched the fight with Rosales then in France, and that's what really made me hungry to come back. And who I am now, I'm just literally one fight away from that, that shot. Okay, interesting, man, interesting. Now, I'd like, be, yeah, I think that's how I go. Go on, if I cut you off, you can, uh, no. you can continue. Um, I spoke to my manager, obviously, after the fight, he's going to give me the fight news this this week, so I'm up in down in December. And I'll, obviously, hopefully, the final eliminator is now the straight shot, so I'm just waiting on some news. Okay, excellent. 
Um, yeah, like like we mentioned there, you know, you were cleared to box. You returned to the ring on the weekend. You hoped, I know that you hoped to be fighting for the European title. I know that, I think this is the second time now that you've been hoping to fight for the title. Why hasn't that opportunity arise for you on both occasions, Andrew? Uh, the first time I was in camp for, for the fight, it was about two, three weeks before I was, I was going to go to France and fight. And then I went over on my ankle, so I was in like a, a cast on my ankle that I had to pull out. And then I was meant to fight him, obviously, uh, this Friday or when I, when I boxed. in about two weeks before, he went and fought someone else without even telling us or pulling out. So that's that. And now I've got the final eliminator. I don't think that'll be happening. Okay, okay. Um, and obviously, like we say, you you know, you ended up fighting a guy called Adam Yahaya. Um, he was eighteen yeah. and three with one draw. You became the first man to stop him. You did it in two rounds. How did it feel, Andrew? I know that obviously a lot has gone on, like I say, since you last boxed. Um, you know, it's been a yeah. whole year outside the ring. How did it feel to get back in there, perhaps brush off the cobwebs, and even become the first man to stop this guy? All in all, how did it feel to get back in a ring? Yeah, it was a great feeling. Um... I wanted it to last a bit longer than two rounds because I was just, just getting my time in, in the ring. I was facing my shots, but I was just way too strong and sharp. You could just see that like I was just about 10 levels above and the referee just stopped it. And obviously, I've been sparring a lot of good opponents and doing well, so it's, it's, not, it's not even like I've been out the ring, to be honest. Okay, still as sharp as ever. Now, um, you mentioned there, Andrew, that you're perhaps going to be fighting again in December. Is that right? What uh, I know that you, well, you've pretty much answered it, really. You're looking at hopefully fighting December, and this time it will be a, uh, a world title eliminator. Will that be a final eliminator? Who's the Mexican guy? What can you tell us? Yeah, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a final eliminator. Cause I went to the WBC convention out in Ukraine, okay. and I was ranked one. And they said we order Selby to fight rank two for the final eliminator. And it's a Mexican. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's ranked two in the WBC. He's had like 13 knocked out 10, lost one, I think. Um, so it's going to be a tough fight. But uh, I'm confident when they I'm confident in my Ghana too. So I just. I'm back in the gym tomorrow, staying fit and chair. So I'm just waiting for the news now for the date. Okay, is that Julio Cesar Martinez? Is that it? Yeah, that's the one, yeah. Okay, and just, just to reiterate, he's a guy with, um, yeah, I think he's 11 and 1. Yeah, it might be 11 and 1, yeah. Okay, and the one yeah, last actually. Lot yeah, the one loss yeah, one was actually loss, yeah. uh, a split decision loss on his debut over four rounds, which we know um, doesn't really mean too much. Um, but yeah, yeah, getting back to it, um, you know, obviously, Andrew, you're in a you're in a division where there's not too much to offer um, domestically. I know that you're you're kind of got you know you've got your eyes on really the world title level at the moment, but yeah. domestically, the guys that are out there are guys that people would like to see you in with, but it sounds like we're probably not going to get to see those fights just yet. Um, at this stage, Andrew, I know that you've, again, you held the British title. You you wanted anyone in Britain to fight you. No one seemed like they, they wanted to step up. But is there any interest at this stage from you, you know, against the likes of 
you know, the Edwards brothers or Paddy Barnes or any of these guys, Jay Harris. Yeah, I thought, I thought anyone in Britain put him perfectly for the Brits to defend my British title. But obviously, I'm looking, looking for the world title. So there's no point in stepping down the ladder rather than up. So obviously, I'm concentrating on the world title. But if that doesn't happen, I'm, I'm happy to defend my British title. Okay. And did you did you happen to see Sonny Edwards against Ryan Farag the other night? If so, what did you make of it? Um, yeah, I did watch it. Uh, uh, Sonny is a very uh, flashy tactical fighter. Um, Ryan Farag, I obviously don't rate. He's uh, um, a much, much uh, was a big step up for Sonny because obviously he's, I think had like seven professional fights or something. And yeah, he's going to be one to watch as well when he's had a few more fights. Yes, yeah, certainly, I agree. A, a brilliant performance from him. And on the same card as you the other night, um, Andrew, obviously, you know, Welsh amateur standout Fred Evans. He managed to get stopped by a guy who was 15 and 15 with a couple of draws. A humongous upset. I mean, I, I still Who's can't believe now? it happened. Who was that, sorry? Fred Evans. Oh, Fred, yeah. Um... I, I actually missed the fight. I'm just off to the arena, uh, to the arena after his fight, so I I didn't see it. But he's looking so sharp in the gym and afterwards, so I've seen him in the same gym. And then, but it just shows what boxing is all about. It only takes one punch to to beat a guy, basically. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's the most unpredictable sport. That's, I, th- I think that's why we all love it, Andrew. Um, and, and finally, coming down to the last couple of questions, um, what is the next the next step with Lee? I did want to kind of clear up if he was going up one or two weight classes. You said he will be campaigning at lightweight, so he's going up two weight classes. Is there um, any you know anything that you can tell us about his next fight or perhaps when it's going to take place? What can you say? Um, I'm not sure who he'll be fighting, but... I think it's in December. Uh, just waiting for an announcement, and it'll definitely be close Christmas, yeah, New Year, and it'll be a lightweight, but no opponent, yeah. So, but there will be an announcement soon. So you may both be fighting in December then. Yeah, it won't be the same below, I don't think. Okay, okay, okay. Busy month for you, December. Obviously, your birthday, Christmas Day, people forget as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, twenty-one again. <laughs> and just before yeah, we let you go, like... Andrew. Just before we let you go, my friend, is there anything yeah. at all that you want to get off your chest, or anything that I perhaps haven't asked you? Anything that you want to say in front of the listeners? The floor is yours. Yeah, I'm fly, fly away to watch out because I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, listen, Andrew. Yeah. It's always it's always a pleasure speaking with you. It's great to have you back on the show. It's even better to see you back in the ring. Above all, thank you for your time, and we shall catch up again very soon. Yeah, what is massive. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Um, a couple of things to go over here. Obviously, Iaz didn't. Um, he didn't. He didn't send me the news, so I've had to use my resources and Umar's resources here to pick up the latest news. Um, really, no one does the news part better than Iaz. I've called him many, many times. Umar, the Trevor McDonald of the boxing world. He's very sharp with the news. Um, <laughs> what we do have, though, is. Um, Kel Brook will be fighting on the 8th of December um, Umar, what venue is that again? No opponent just yet I believe No opponent officially announced yet um, 
there are rumours of a certain Australian super welter fighting him, but nothing announced from Matram, so we can't take that as gospel. But it's going to be in Sheffield. Um, so I'm guessing an arena in Sheffield, but again, no venue confirmed, but it's definitely in Sheffield uh, December the 8th. One piece of news that's just come to my head um, right this second, actually. Um, I know that the fight between Joe Caldina and Scott Carter was fallen through due to an injury with Joe Caldina. So that fight's been pulled off of the USIC Bellew undercard. And um, in steps Dave Allen, no opponent just yet, but he will be fighting on that bill. Um, I think they're trying to sort an opponent for him. So some people are... <laughs> depends really if you're if you're a um Dave Allen fan then you'll be happy with that but if you're a you know general boxing fan and you like good matchups then you're probably not too pleased about it but hopefully he's in a decent fight hopefully he's had enough time to get ready for a decent fight because his last one only lasted a few seconds didn't it the first round so uh yeah good news for Papi Della Rhino fans anything else anything else uh a bit of a shocker actually Jarrett heard Jason Wellborn on the uh, Wilder Fury undercard come out of nowhere <laughs> yeah um yeah that is i mean <laughs> to think that wellborn obviously you know he won the, the rematch against tommy langford um for the second time so i don't think we're going to see a third one there but you know to be british champion then to just completely out of nowhere take on herd i mean a little bit of a mismatch in my eyes um Mikey Garcia has, has decided to vacate his IBF lightweight world title. Very weird because he hasn't vacated his WBC lightweight title. So I think Luke Campbell will probably be a bit annoyed with that. But uh, <laughs> um, I think it's purely just to get his, his mandatory off his back. Richard Comey, who I think has been you know, shouting and screaming and doing all the right things, really, because he wants his shot at the world title. So he's just been doing all he can, he, you know, even going on Twitter and you know, calling Mikey out, saying that you're scared to sign the contract. I think Mikey just wants a bigger fight, really, so he's decided to let go of that title there, which he took from Richard, uh, not Richard, from Robert Easter, who obviously um, once upon a time beat Richard Comey anyway, so uh, I don't think he had too much to, to um, you know, to, to, to worry about there um, with, with Richard Comey in my eyes. But yeah, he's vacated that belt, so he'll he'll probably be getting a big fight instead. Um, but interesting that he has, like I say, kept the WBC quite, quite, um, quite odd. Um, and just a bit of other news actually that's come to my head. A couple of things actually. I've seen Oscar Valdez says he demands the uh, winner of Frampton Warrington, which will be interesting to see. And also, I saw a report somewhere that Canelo, if he comes through the fielding fight, wouldn't mind having a crack at one seven five, which is like unbelievable considering the size of him. But yeah, he wouldn't mind going up to light heavyweight okay we'll have to see hopefully he doesn't get through rocky field in anyway and we won't even be having that discussion but uh yeah um is that it for the news umar we we mentioned everything there i think that's everything covered for this week yeah can't okay. think of anything else okay we shall move on to the preview part of the show now of course let's start in the uh in the york hall bethnal green um this one happening um this this weekend here we have top in the bill jay harris the uh the welsh 
flyweight, his record 13 and 0. He puts his Commonwealth flyweight strap on the line against Ross Murray, who's 8 and 1. A good little fight there, actually. 12 rounds there. We also have Kirk Garvey, 11 and 1. He fights for the vacant Southern Area light heavyweight title against Andre Sterling, who's 8 and 0. That should be a decent little scrap there. Um, that's it, really, for that one. Moving out now to the SSE Hydro in Glasgow, Scotland. Um, I'm going to contact Iaz and get his predictions here, but I've got mine ready. Um, and also the listeners have given us theirs. But let's start with the undercard just before we get onto the bigger fights. We've got Paul Butler, 26-2. and two. He's in a 10-rounder against Yon Boyo, who has a record of 41-5. But believe me, it's quite padded. I'm expecting Paul Butler to, to pick up a a good win there. Um, we also have Victor Postel, 29-2. and two, Obviously, former world champion. He lost to, um, to Josh Taylor last time out. He, I believe, is a reserve as well. I think if one of the fighters, um, you know, pulled out the fight, then he'd jump in in place of Taylor or Ryan Martin. But he takes on an MTK fighter, C.R. Osgall, who's 14-1. and one, A 10-round contest here. Osgall, in his last fight, got stopped in the final round against Mikey Saki, who was 5 and two um credit to osgall really because i mean let, let, let me just go back to that to that um that fight where he got stopped against saki he won every second of the whole fight and then he just completely ran out of steam and got caught in the last round and saki jumped all over him with whatever he had left which which he had nothing left but just <laughs> i don't know what happened god helped him out and he just got him through that through that fight and you know the 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 he just got an injection of energy and he just put everything he could onto his shots and forced a stoppage. That was when I was telling the uh, the story about when his brother was sat there ringside saying, come on, Mikey, come on, Mikey. I've since found out that that wasn't his brother, but we like to we like to tell the listeners that it was because it sounds a whole lot better. Um, but yeah, I've got to be honest, um, Umar. I know that he's, um, you know, he's, he's under the MTK banner, but this is uh, quite a bad, quite a bad fight in my opinion. I mean, I see this as a mismatch to, to you know to get knocked out in a fight you were winning, but to get knocked out at southern area level and to move up against Postel, who has only lost and and looked bad against Crawford and Josh Taylor, two absolute beasts in that division, and you know Victor Postel surely wins this fight. Yeah, it's a bit like uh, Heard Wellborn and yes, in some regards Canelo Canelo Fielding as well, where it's just like. Yeah, but oh my, let me interject. Let me just interject mm. and cut you off just just a second there. You know, Wellborn is a British champion. Um, you know, Rocky Fielding has got the one loss to Callum Smith, who's a world champion, but Fielding himself is a world champion. We're talking about a guy here, you know, who who got stopped at Southern Area level to a guy who was five and two. But I know where you're going with it. Yeah, no, of course. Listen, no one thought Osgore would be fighting Victor Postel. I mean. Victor's right up there um, as one of the best in that division. Um, very, very good fighter. And it'd be a ridiculous shock if uh, he didn't come through that. But listen, if you offered the fight a bit like Wellborn, I, I know you've said that Wellborn's British champion, Fielding's world champion, they've fought obviously at a very high level before. Um, but if you offered them type of fights like Canelo's, you, you heard, obviously, your postals. Um, where you're getting a career high payday and it's going to, you know, impact your life in a great way. Um, for the better, you've, you've got, you've got to take it. So no one can sort of discredit him for taking it. Um, but yeah, as you say, 
would be a major shock if he if he you know pulled it off. But yeah, listen, he's got to take it. All the very best to him. That is that is a hundred percent sure. Um, moving up the card once again, Zach Parker sixteen and zero takes on Daryl Williams seventeen and zero. This one for the vacant British super middleweight title. This is my kind of fight, Umar. I'm sure that you second that. Being being a hardcore boxing fan, what a fight this one is! Oh, take it away, please. <laughs> <laughs> this one is a cracker. I mean, Zach has looked phenomenal. Um, phenomenal. Yeah, um, that's an understatement. I think he he does really look like a a brilliant talent, but yeah, he's in a cracking fight, and uh, that whole division at the moment is really good um, domestically. Um, who have you got for that one, actually? I have got, I've got Zach Parker winning it. Um, the listeners have got Zach Parker to win by stoppage. Um, I I think that. I think that Zach Parker wins on points because I think that Daryl Williams is made of some tough stuff. Um, and I, I think he can get quite rugged with it. I know that obviously, you know, he, he took on Jermaine Smile, who's not really the biggest puncher, but like they were quite tough, rugged affairs. And I think that Parker hasn't really had to grind out like that. And I think he could he could find himself in deep waters here. Not that he's not going to come through swimming, come through diving in head first when there's a sign saying no diving he might do it but i think i think points i don't think he stops him if he does stop him then it's a serious statement yeah i mean to stop daryl would be as you said a big big statement um but you wouldn't put it past zach he's looked as i said phenomenal and uh you've obviously just had zach actually beating umar sadiq um um, um, super middleweight domestically is looking really strong. I think the winner of that against Shelley um, would be a really good fight as well. But interesting to see how Zach does with uh, Daryl Williams because he is one tough guy. Yeah, he certainly is. But yeah, like I say, a fantastic fight there. Moving up the card once again, Josh Taylor, 13-0, and puts his WBC silver super lightweight title on the line against Ryan Martin, a man that's trained under um, under under Abel Sanchez at the Big Bear Gym um, up in California. So a fantastic fight here. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the British fans probably don't know too much about Ryan Martin, Umar. Um, the, the the average fan doesn't, but he's a very good talent, very good amateur pedigree, very good boxer, obviously undefeated 22-0. and 0. He, he trains amongst some real good fighters. Joe Joyce up there now, I think that they're, they're becoming quite good friends, actually. But um, Josh Taylor just seems to be... You know, one of the best in that in that division, um, him and Progray for me are the two standout guys. But um, you cannot write Martin off because, like I say, I don't think we've seen how good he truly is just yet. Um, he's very, very impressive. Also, a lot of the Americans backing him to win this one. Yeah, as you said, undefeated, trained in Big Bear, um, and recently, the Americans and and international fighters have been getting one over the Brits. So can't overlook him and I'm sure Josh Taylor isn't um bit of an unknown quantity Ryan Martin especially to the UK market but you know if you're in that in that eight in that world boxing super series you're going to be very good um otherwise you wouldn't get picked for it and uh undefeated as he said so a tough night's work for Josh Taylor um I'm sure it will be but he's an absolute beast um a really really good body puncher as well um Josh Taylor, and uh, that's one of my favourite things um, to see is a, is a good body puncher. And 
I'm sure he'll come through, Josh Taylor. Yeah, the listeners, interestingly, um, not even voting at all for Ryan Martin. It's a complete, um, it's a complete whitewash. We've got um, 67% Taylor by knockout, 33% Taylor on points. So, no one giving the American a chance. Um, I think that Taylor wins probably by probably by stoppage. Um, I can see it going points. By the way, I think I think it probably goes points. But just just because I don't really want to bet against Taylor getting the knockout, I'm going to say Taylor by knockout. Um, but yeah, I think I think Martin's a lot better than obviously anyone gives him credit for. Um, and yeah, I think it could end up going points. To be honest, but yeah, <laughs> I mean I'm in two minds. But Taylor by knockout is what I'm going to say. That's my final answer. Um, Good fight, though. Like I say, really, really looking forward to that one. And the main event here, Ryan Burnett, 19-0. and 0. He takes on Nonito Donaire, 38-5. and 5. We'll be speaking to Nonito in a few moments' time, actually. This one for the vacant WBC Diamond Bantamweight title and the WBA Super World Bantamweight title. Um, Ryan Burnett has to be the favourite, which is quite crazy when you think about it at this point um, in Nanito Donaire's career. Um, Umar, obviously, Nanito being a former four-weight world champion, he finds himself fighting in um, in Glasgow, Scotland. Probably he wouldn't have imagined this in his wildest dreams. He was here last time out against Carl Frampton. Carl Frampton was excellent, excellent, excellent that night, and that's why he picked up the win, obviously, on points. Um, Ryan Burnett, a whole nother, um different fighter, you may as well say. Ryan Burnett obviously fights at bantamweight. Nonito Donaire hasn't made the bantamweight limit for seven years. Um, but he assures me that he will be making weight when when the weighing comes on Friday. Um, but yeah, good fight. Another fantastic fight for Burnett here. Um, a, a chance to really get a scalp on his resume. But Nonito Donaire, obviously, you can never, ever shut him out of winning because he's got so much experience and obviously he's got the power. And I should say that at bantamweight, I think in his, in his entire career, he fought at bantamweight for three fights and he didn't lose a single round. Interesting stat that I didn't know that. Um, firstly, I think it's great for Scottish boxing and the country that they've got two world-class fights um, in Taylor and Martin and, and Burnett Donaire on the same card. Um, it's rare you see that, really, that you get on the same card two sort of potential main events, because either could be. Um, Burnett and Zach probably... Parker and Daryl Williams, throw that in and off. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's a wicked course. card. Mm, brilliant. Um great for Scottish boxing as I said um, Burnett's probably one of my favourite fighters, um, I think he's class and I think he will come through um, you can't overlook Donaire though because <laughs> one of the most experienced fighters left around in the game still um, but I just think uh, he's probably over the hill a bit now and Burnett on recent form has looked great um, so I've got Burnett winning that um, but he's in a, such a tough division. I mean, you've got some killers there with Tete, uh, Rodriguez and Inoue, especially Inoue. Um Probably the, the most... Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's the best division that, in boxing at the moment. I mean, the top four in that. Um, if you put any of them together, uh, they are class fights. Um, and I'm sure we're going to get them. I think all four are going to make the semi-finals, so it should be good. And the listeners are going with Burnett to win on points. I agree with that also. I think he will probably win on points. I don't think he carries the power to trouble Donair. And, um, yeah, I think he's he's the man, obviously, on the up. 
and um, and Donaire is on the way down. I think he'd admit that himself. I just think Adam Booth would have put a fantastic game plan in place. Obviously, one of the best tacticians in my eyes in the world when it comes to boxing training, Mr. Booth. Um, Ayaz has resurfaced, and he's told me that his predictions this week are... Um, Josh Taylor to win on points, so that's quite surprising actually. Um, Zach Parker to win on points, and Ryan Bennett to win on points, so all points for Ayaz. And he's gone again like that, we may not see him for another couple of weeks. Um, yeah, that's 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 our picks there. Um, yeah, that's really it for that one. Interesting fight, fantastic card. Moving out now to the, uh, to the Aviator Sports Complex in Brooklyn, New York, USA. One or two fights, three fights actually to mention on this bill. Friend of the show, heavyweight prospect, undefeated Cassius Cheney, 13-0. He takes on Santino Turnbo in a six-rounder, Turnbo 4-2, his record. Also, we have another friend of the show, Dennis Duglin, 21-6. Um, he's coming off that win over Vaughn Alexander, the undefeated brother of um of of uh of Devon Alexander, a man that obviously um um Vaughn Alexander served a lot of time in prison. He was undefeated and then he lost last time out to Dennis Duglin, who on this show said that if he lost, he'd retire. Well he didn't lose, he didn't retire. He's back here against Saul Roman, whose record is forty three and twelve. Um, good good fight there for Dennis Duglin. I'm expecting him to win that one. And another friend of the show, Sullivan Barrera. I remember when he came on this show and spoke to me in broken English and did a great job of it, if I may say so. His record, 21-2. and two. He's in a 10-rounder against Shawnee Munigan, 29-1. and one. That should be a brilliant, brilliant fight. Both two real good contenders, real top contenders in the light heavyweight division. That's a 10-rounder there. And now the final bill to mention, this is the bill that I'm calling the Miguel Bill. It's happening at the Don Haskins Convention Center in El Paso, Texas. And the reason why I say this is the Miguel show is because this one's going to be shown, by the way, on, on ESPN+. Plus. We've got top in the bill, Miguel Burchelt, 34-1. He puts his WBC World Super Featherweight title on the line against Miguel Roman, who's 60-12. What an incredible fight, this one. 12-round contest. I'm expecting Burchelt to win. The much fresher man. Good, uh, real big puncher as well, Burchelt. I think Miguel Roman... Um, has, has certainly seen better days. Also, we have Miguel Mariaga. That's three Miguels so far out of three. His record twenty six and three. He takes on Jose Estrella, whose record is twenty and fourteen with one draw. That's a ten rounder there. And really, the last fight to mention on this bill, it's gone under the radar and probably um, it's not too surprising. A man really whose career has gone under the radar. Saul Neno Rodriguez, 21-0 and 0 with one draw. Former um, former fighter of the uh, of the Mayweather promotions banner. I think that he had a bit of a fallout with Floyd or whatever happened there and um, he hasn't fought for over a year and a half. He's still a young guy and he really needs to get back to his career and it's good to see him back in the ring finally. He's in a 10-rounder against Claudio Tapia whose record is 28 and 18 with four draws. But that really wraps up the preview part of the show. I'm quite surprised at how long the whole show's lasted. The review in the preview in the news, the first guest, and now obviously it's time to bring in guest number two. But just before that, it's now time to say goodbye to Umar Ahmed, a man that's helped me out on two consecutive shows. It's an undefeated streak now, two and zero for you, Umar. Thank you once again for you know for for making the time for us this week and coming on the show and helping out when I has gone missing. No worries. Um, as always, I can jump on whenever Ayers is missing, which seems like every week now. Um, <laughs> and yeah, hashtag pray for Ayers. 
<laughs> hashtag pray for Ayaz. There will be a reward, maybe a box hard uh, podcast t-shirt if, if he can be seen. I tell you what, that's, I'm going to stick to that. Not only will I put a box hard podcast t-shirt on the line, um, I'm going to have to probably throw in a money prize. If someone can see Ayaz, someone finds him and takes a selfie with him and sends it in, there will be a money prize and a t-shirt. And I say that with with every confidence in my heart that you will not find him because when he goes hiding he's gone he really is truly gone but that's enough of all that it's now time to welcome guest number two ladies and gentlemen please welcome the former four-weight world champion himself it's of course mr nonito donair nonito welcome back on the show brother how are you good good thank you for having me back hey it's always my pleasure having you back now you're back on british soil once again nanito how does it feel to be back last time they loved you up in belfast uh it's always great you know um right now we're just really focused on on this fight but it's it's good to be back and and i'm glad i'm back and and you know get get, got this opportunity now this interview of course is taking place on monday of fight week how long have you been here in the uk nanito been here since thursday uh of last week um we came in really early try to get the right time and so that you know uh acclimatized it to the time and, and the weather so and how are you doing with that are you fully adjusted yet oh yes definitely um time has been good been sleeping really well you know and we're awake at the time of the fight so we're just trying to set up where it's comfortable for my body and 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 you know be ready for the fight now, I do just want to ask you one question, Nanita, about last time out. Obviously, the last time we spoke was in the build-up to that Frampton fight. Um, like I say, I do just want to get one word from you on that fight. It was a good fight. It was an entertaining fight. But ultimately, Carl Frampton seemed to get his tactics spot on that night and was able to emerge victorious. Please describe that fight for us, if you can, Nanita. You know, we came in with a game plan uh, that night. And, um, you know, it was working early on as I was landing the body shots and, and, and punches on Carl, but Carl changed it up and I wasn't able to to change up with the tides that Carl was changing. And, and that's why he was able to to beat me in, in, in uh, you know, in, in his game plan and in, in the scheme of, of, of uh, the strategy. So, you know, he really did really well on, on that and, and uh, applaud him for, for, uh, for fighting really well. I mean, I, I, I gave it all I got and, you know, the, the, the best man came in to win that night, you know, with a great, with a better strategy. So, but I held my, my, my head high. I mean, I, I thought that I did really well against, against somebody who, uh, like Carl Frampton. So, so I was still proud of myself, but that, that's pretty much how the fight went. Just, they had a better game plan than I did. Very well said and very honest from you, Nonito. Then, of course, it was announced that you'd be entering this World Boxing Super Series tournament at bantamweight. Now, Nonito, you haven't obviously weighed in the in the bantamweight limit since uh, just over seven years ago. A lot of people second-guessing your weight. A lot of people simply refusing to believe that you'll be able to make the weight. What is your standpoint on this whole thing? Well, it makes me it makes me. Uh laugh a little bit because I've always been the guy who makes the weight. When I make, when I say that I will, it's happening. I'm a man of my word and I will do it even if it kills me. But I, um, after the Carl Frampton fight, I felt that my weight was just too much in that, in the featherweight. And so, um, I trained a little bit, uh, you know, given the opportunity for the WBSS, I wasn't sure until I, I, I felt that I was I was able to make it. I mean, I'm walking around at 128, which is 10 pounds um, 
over the 118 and I don't really lose weight, you know, to fight at 126, I'm walking at it. So I decided, we decided that, you know what, we can try it out and see how it is. And, you know, um, this week I've been, it's been, it's been great. You know, I'm not, I'm like everybody else, you know, we're cutting down a little bit of weight, but I feel good. And everything is running smoothly in terms of getting to that target, I'm guessing. I know that you had to do a check weight. Everything's all good. Yeah. Tomorrow I got to weigh in at 121. So um, I'm I'm pretty much there. I, I know 100% that the weight is not a problem anymore. Excellent. So, Nanito, my question is, being 100% honest here, what weight class would you um, say that you're actually best suited to at this point in your career? Is it bantamweight? Is it, is it perhaps 122? I think that I'm I, I'm very comfortable here because I didn't know how this weight was going to affect me um, going into it, but I feel really good. I, I really truly feel really good, and I think this is my my real weight. You know, um, I just pushed and challenged myself continuously, just aiming for for the bigger pay, aiming for the bigger challenge, and that's pretty much what happened in my career. You know, I never went back to look back. Um, to see where I truly belong, and, and this is where I belong. All right, now I feel good, I feel great, but we have to see Saturday how I, I'll perform. I tell you what, just hearing you say that is getting me excited, Benito, because I know that you're a very, very honest man, and um, I believe everything you're saying. I believe, I believe that. You know, I believe you when you say that you're you're feeling good here. I can hear it in your voice, Nanito. I've got to know you a few times now when we've done these interviews, and I believe <laughs> Thank you. you. Now, you'll be taking on Ryan Burnett. Um, you know, when you were fighting Carl Frampton in the build-up, you were having singing competitions with Ryan Burnett. No singing, but I know that you and your wife went to dinner with him and his wife. How did that all go? It seems like he's a, he's a good guy like yourself. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good guy, you know. Um, he doesn't let... Uh, things affect them outside, you know, we know that we talk about it, you know, that we're going to go in there, we're going to try to kill each other. But at the end of it all, we might go sing and have a beer after that, you know, which is great for, for the sport of boxing, but it's, it's, it's also good for me and him, you know, to, to be able to be friends after, afterward, but at the same time, we're going to go kill each other inside the ring. So, I mean, that's just the sport. Of, this is the game. This is the sport that I'm in. Um, you know, no hard feelings. And, and we both agree to that. And, uh, and we're both excited and we're going to give it all we got, you know, for this fight. And like I say, you take on Ryan Burnett this weekend. The fight takes place in Glasgow, Scotland. Um, have you had much time to check him out, Nanito? Because I'm going to I'm gonna throw a wild guess in here and I'm going to say you probably didn't know too much about him before, you know, before you both turned up for the draft and then he ended up picking you. Well, um, I've, I've seen some of his fights. A lot of my, my coaches have um, seen a lot of his fights. You know, one thing that I've been I've been shying away for a very long time in, in my ways of fighting was my instinct. You know, I would usually come in with a big game plan A, B, and C, and D. And, and you know, when those didn't work, like with the Carl Frampton fight, I wasn't able to, to change. So what we've been working on has been instinct. You know, just whatever comes at me, I'll, I'll decide to to create something in that moment in time. Um, so that's something that, that was very exciting for me to try out in this fight. And what does a win do? Um, a win do for you here, Nanito? Sounds like a bit of a silly question, but aside from the belts, aside from the uh, you know going into the to, to the semi final of this tournament, what else is on the line here for you personally? Well, personally, I think that it stamps um, and then it, it answers all the questions of whether I'm capable at 118. 
if I'm comfortable at 118, if I'm strong at 118, all the questions that people have that I have um, before this fight will all be answered. And I think that's the most important thing aside from winning this fight. And another thing, Nanito, again, I hate to, I hate to ask you this, but the absolute opposite of that, a loss here would mean two back-to-back losses. Um, it wouldn't, of course, look good. Um, it would make coming to Britain quite an unsuccessful thing for you. But where do you go? Where would Nanito go if that should happen here? Well, I've always been the type to look at the situation and, and learn from things. You know, it depends how, how it, the outcome is. If, if it's a domination or if it's a close fight or whatever it may be. You know, It's not the first time I've lost. Um, so it it doesn't deter me from 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 going into to uh to creating my goals and and, and you know and and my goals in, in in boxing. But most of all, it it just it just shows to see if I'm safe in this game because I love what I do. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life if I can. But I know that's not possible. So I'm gonna prolong 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 the the, the whole uh, boxing as much as I can. Um, as long as it's safe for me. But when it really doesn't come down to safety, when safety is, is the key, then that would be my, my um, where, I, where I hang up the gloves, you know. But, you know, as my, I love the boxing world. I love the boxing, but my family is the most important thing to me. And if they say that I'm not safe enough for this game anymore, then I no longer need to be in this game. Um, but aside from that, I love this game and I will stick with it for the longest time. And let me just confirm this. You've had previously, I think it's three fights in total at Bantamweight before because you never really hung around there for too long. Um, those three fights, I mean, you took on um, Vladimir Sidorenko. Obviously, you stopped him in four rounds. You took on Fernando Montiel. You stopped him in two rounds. And then you completely shut out the previously undefeated Omar Navarez. So you, I don't think you've actually lost a round at this way. Is that right? No, that's I'm undefeated in this weight class. Yes, not only undefeated, <laughs> but you haven't even lost a round, Nonito. So that is quite impressive. That no. is a, a little bit of extra yeah. spice to add to the pot. Um, and, and coming down yeah. to the last couple of questions, Nonito, I know that you're not the biggest fan of watching boxing, um, aside from you know participating in it. But is there anyone at the moment that's caught your eye that you're watching that you're a big fan of at this stage? Uh, you know, I love I love watch I love watching the. Uh, you know, like 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 Crawford and them, um, um, Mikey Garcia. But in this in the WBSS, you know, I just I get excited with the weight class. You know, watching Tete's fight, watching Enoa's fight. You know, um, and even just all the guys. I mean, the 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 cruiserweight. Uh, you know, was was an incredible series. So I've been watching a lot of those stuff. But the guys that I really really get into and learn a lot is from Crawford and them. You know, Crawford, uh, uh, Canelo. Um, you know, Triple G and all those big names. I mean, those are very exciting. And that's where I really, truly come to watch the fight. And what is your opinion on Inoue, a guy that is just completely obliterating everyone he gets in the ring with at the moment? What's your take on him so far? He's a dangerous guy. He's a dangerous guy. He has big punch, you know. Um, he has great timing and, and you know, he, he's a force. He's a force. So I'm really excited to get there. You know, because he, he, you know, some that's that's one of those guys that gets me excited when I go inside the ring because they're scary and they're 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 uh, they're, they're dangerous and that's where I like to be is, is to prove you know it's it's not so much to prove but it's just it's exciting it's exciting to be there with 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 good fighters. And finally, Nanito, um, I wanna I wanna ask if you saw 
either of these two fights, it's going to sound pretty random the way I'm going to throw these in, but did you happen to see Magdaleno lose to Isaac Dogbo? Did you see that fight at all? Yes, yes. I, it's funny because that? I was out. I, you know, um, I knew the book, the weakness of, of Magdaleno, and that's pretty much what they, uh, the, these guys, these guys did was 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 uh, take him over because knowing that Magdaleno's not the kind of guy who's very disciplined, you know, he blows up and loses a lot of weight in the, in the late rounds. I mean, in the in the in the you know uh, closer to the weigh in, so he doesn't have that much energy, and they just took it to him. You know, early on, Dogbo was uh, was hit and dropped. You know, just shaking off the the rust, and and when he was able to be comfortable, he took it to him and take him took him out. Yeah, very good. But he did really well. Him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And did you happen to see Pacquiao's fight against Matisse? He seemed like he rolled back the clock a little bit, and it was like the Pacquiao of old almost. Pacquiao always will have that power. You know, his his speed has diminished a little. But he's still a very dangerous fighter, and I think that he's gonna do too, he's gonna do well against Broner. Yeah, should that fight be a hundred percent confirmed, which I'm not sure it is, but again, if it, if it does happen, that's a fantastic fight. Nanito, is there anything at all that you want to say just before we let you go, perhaps to our listeners, to anyone at all? The floor is yours. Take it away. Oh man, I'm I'm always grateful, grateful for this opportunity. I want to thank you guys for all the support. You guys will have a great fight this Saturday. You know, Burnett's a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. You'll have a fight. That's one thing that I guarantee. So you guys uh, have a wonderful, wonderful uh, time, day, you know, life. <laughs> just, just, just have fun. Uh, you guys will have fun watching this fight. So I appreciate you guys. I'm sure that we will. I'm sure that we will. Now, Nanita, I just want to say it's always my pleasure having you on the show. You know that yourself. Best of luck for Saturday night, and hopefully next time we speak, I'll be speaking to the new WBC Diamond and WBA Super Bantamweight Champion of the World. That's right. That's right. Appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, and this wraps up episode 159 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Umar Ahmed has been with me for the duration of the podcast. A big thank you to our two guests also on this week's show, the former four-weight world champion himself, Mr. Nonito Donaire, and the undefeated high-flying flyweight, Mr. Andrew Selby. The Prediction League currently stands at a complete draw. Myself, Ayaz, and you, the listeners, are all tied on 67 points, but don't worry, there are another three points up for grabs this weekend best of luck with that thank you all for tuning into this week's show once again enjoy your weekends people please do and we shall see you all again next week